you all, I hope you, you realize how lucky, well, I know you realize how blessed you are to have this incredible building to worship in. I, I was talking to my husband back in Atlanta last night, and I was trying to describe it, and I just couldn't. I mean, there were a lot of things I could say about it, but I knew that he wouldn't be able to imagine it, you know, nevertheless. But this morning, one thing that struck me about the building that I never saw yesterday was the windows in here. Um, did you realize that they're all angels? Every window is an angel. Actually, there are two angels in each window. They're, um, they are uh, the cherubim and seraphim. Like you can look it up in Isaiah 6, and you'll find a description of them, and you'll see your windows just fit that. And there's something wonderful about having your worship in the presence of all the angels of heaven every Sunday, isn't there? I, I just love it myself. Well, anyway, we're going to start today with the scripture, as we always do in church, and it is from uh, the second creation story, starting in Genesis chapter 2. At the beginning of the story, uh, God has created everything out of the flat plane of that, out of which um, Eden is going to appear, and then all the animals and people and so forth. So that happens. And then, and, uh, and, and God creates a human being. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God thought about this for a while and said, It is not good that the man should be by himself. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air, and then... The man gave names to all these animals, but looking at all these animals, there was still not found a helper as the man's partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And then the man was really excited. It's, it's not quite in the text, but it's kind of in the text. <laughs> then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. This is the reason a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now the snake was more crafty, smarter, than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, oh, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve thought about this for a while. That's not actually in the text either. And saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make a person wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They got their knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, that woman whom you gave to be with me, don't miss that, <laughs> she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, wasn't me. <laughs> the, serpent, the serpent, the snake tricked me and I ate. And then the Lord God laid a curse on the snake. Then the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life remember two trees in the garden, and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, he and his wife, to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, today is the first Sunday in Lent, and this story from Genesis, the creation story, shows up regularly every third year of Lent in the lectionary. Now, Lent is the period of time in which we prepare for Easter, which is, as you know, the celebration of the resurrection. 
of not just of Jesus of Nazareth, but of our looking forward to our own resurrection as well. Now, why do we need resurrection? It's because we all are dying. And I'd like to say this is only metaphorical, uh, but I'm afraid it's not. <laughs> you know, in actual fact, life seems to be governed by the inevitability of death. And this is a story, just a story, but it's a reflection, a mulling over of how this could possibly have come to be. Because considering we know that God made human beings, and Adam and Eve are not just Adam and Eve, they're also all of us, aren't they? This is a story about us, not just two people that lived a long time ago. We know that God made us and wants our well-being. There's no doubt that God wants our well-being and God loves us. That being so, why is our life so dominated by death that brings so much suffering with it? Okay, here's how it happened, according to this story. You just heard it. There was a temptation. They fell to it, and that was the end of it. Well, that's the way we usually tell it anyway. It's a story about humanity's disobedience to God, which is depressing, to say the least. Uh, but I am a church historian, as your pastor has told you, and one thing about being a church historian is you get exposed to the ways that Christians have read Scripture over the centuries, passages that we think have got perfectly obvious meanings to them, we suddenly find at another time and place they were interpreted differently. And often these, this is a really helpful thing to discover. And it's true about this passage as well. Uh, one of the people that I, I, I study and I've always studied and just love, just really, really love, is a man named Dorotheus of Gaza. Dorotheus of Gaza was the abbot of two different monasteries in Gaza in the 6th century. And part of his job in Gaza in the 6th century in his monasteries was to preach regularly to, his, to the monks in the monastery. Uh, and there is a collection of homilies that are still around that he preached to his monks in the 6th century. Uh, and I, they are um, really interesting topic, really interesting uh, uh, sermons, and they're on all different topics. Anything you can think of, he probably preached on it. Uh, there's just one thing that, however, that characterizes all of the sermons, and that is they all end up exactly alike. And what they end up being like is that whatever Dorotheus is talking about, uh, renunciation, uh, the ongoing nature of the Christian life, or anything you can think of, all of them end up with telling his monks in, his, in their monasteries to please quit fighting with each other. Don't they understand that fighting with each other is destroying the peace and love that is in the monastery and that that peace and love 
is the life of the monastery, and they're, they're losing it. They're killing it off by their continual fighting. Now, the fighting isn't really all of that difficult to understand because, after all, these were small monasteries, and everybody pretty much lived on top of each other. Um, it, it actually kind of um, makes me feel irritable just thinking about it. Uh, uh, anyway, what I want to do is tell you the story of Adam and Eve as Dorotheus told it to his monks and told it to himself, uh, and, and it's a story in three acts. The first act is the introduction to the story in which God does all the creating and puts Adam and Eve down in the garden and says, you all eat anything you want to eat except don't eat from these two special trees, especially this tree right here, because the day you do, you're going to die. First act. Second act. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're eating away at one thing and another. You know, they run through the pears, and then they run through the apples, and then the oranges, and then the kumquats, and, you know, they go through one fruit after another systematically. And, uh, and then the snake turns up. And the snake, who is the smartest of the animals, says to Eve, huh, I see you're doing a good job on the fruit, but um, have you tried this fruit from this tree yet? And Eve says, oh, no, not me. Not, oh, no. God told us not to eat that fruit. In fact, he even told us not to touch it or we would die. Did God say don't touch it? Go back and look at the story. God doesn't say that. God has not said don't touch it. What this indicates is that Eve's been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> and she's certainly thinking about touching it. So, oh, says the snake, you're not gonna die for heaven's sakes. If you eat that fruit, you'll, you'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil. Well, Eve thinks about it a while, then she thinks about it some more. You know, these are the details that are not included in the text. You have to fill them in yourself, you know. So she, she's thinking about it. She, she thinks about it, thinks about it, and she gives up, and she says, okay, I'm eating it. So she picks a pomegranate. Now, don't ever let anybody tell you it's an apple because it's not an apple. The Hebrew says pomegranate. Uh, and this is an interesting thing because we always think of, you know, biting right down into the fruit. Has anybody here ever eaten a pomegranate? <laughs> you know, it, it, has, it has leather. It's like eating shoe leather if you try to bite into it. It's all leather. And you, somehow or other you get it open and you get uh, red juice all over your front, you know, and up to your, your, your arms. You look like you've been in a, a war. And, and then you finally can get in the inside and, and eat it. But it's not an easy fruit to just take a bite of. But Eve tries it out, and she gives some to Adam, who is, by the way, just standing there like a bump on a log. It's not like, <laughs> you know, it's not like he's off someplace innocently doing his own stuff, mowing the lawn or something. And, and uh, so he's, 
here, Adam, you have a bite too, you know. And so he eats too. And suddenly they are in fact given a knowledge of good and evil. And what it looks like in its first encountering is, oh no, we're naked, you know. That's all, you know, we're risking death to find out we're naked, you know, we could live a long time and not care, you know. But they're, they, then they see they're naked and they're horribly embarrassed and they, they make little, like, aprons, I guess, out of large fig leaves. And, and um, did you ever wonder how, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I'm di digressing, aren't I? But did you ever wonder what made the fig leaves stay on Adam and Eve? <laughs> Have any of you all ever felt the underside of a fig leaf? They are so prickly, it isn't even funny. So they mash on the fig leaves, and then that's the end of that part. That's the end of Act 2. Now comes Act 3, and this is when the stuff happens that is, um, that is the crisis in the story. Uh, after they've made their fig leaves, fig leaf aprons, God shows up to, the text says, walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. And God sees immediately that there's something the matter. One thing, one way God knows this is he can't see Adam and Eve anywhere. So God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam comes out from the tree, behind the trees where he's been hiding. And God says, okay, what's happened here? Now, it's at this point that everything goes wrong. This is the introduction of death in this story. What happened, God says? Oh, says Adam, well, uh, <clears throat> you know that tree you told us not to eat from? Well, Eve, whom you gave me to help me out, gave me fruit from it, and I ate, because of course I'm a good husband, and I do what my <laughs> wife says. You know. God rolls God's eyes and says, this is not in the script, Adam. So Adam smirks a little bit, and then God turns to Eve and says, okay, what happened here? And she says, well, you know that snake you put in the garden with us? The really smart snake? You know, the snake told us to eat this. So I picked the fruit and we ate. But it's not my fault, it's the snake's fault. Well, Adam has already said about Eve, it's not my fault, it's her fault. And also, God, it's your fault, see. So what we have in this story then is a, is a blaming. Everybody turns against everybody else. All the relationships in the story are broken. The relationship with God is broken, you know, because they haven't paid attention to what God said in the first, in the first place in order to take care of the man and the woman. Adam's and Eve's relationship is broken.
and looks like irretrievably broken by the fact that rather than protecting each other, Adam says, oh, I'm getting away from her. She doesn't have anything to do with me. It's her fault. And Eve then does the same thing and says, well, it's actually the snake's fault. So that's the end of human relationships, of love, and that's the end of human relationships with the animals. The next time we see a conscious mention of animals in Genesis, they're getting eaten. Adam and Eve didn't eat the animals in the Garden of Eden. That came later, according to this story. So, okay then, this then, according to Dorotheus, is a story not about human disobedience, but human turning on, humans turning against each other. Humans saying, I'd rather be right and have it my way than admit that I screwed it up myself. It's a story about blaming. Now, if, if you've ever been around two, three-year-olds, six-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 75-year-olds, you know that this is one of our favorite activities. You know, I, anything goes wrong, it's not my fault, it's her fault. It's not my fault, it's his fault. And we figured out as we got older, we figured out good ways of placing the blame on other people without actually using those words. But what we do as we learn, as we grow up, is we learn ways to separate ourselves from each other. And that, in fact, is what is going on in human life right this minute. We are not in a good time in our human history, and we're not in a good time in our American history. We have turned against each other big time. Now, does it matter who's right or who's wrong? I mean, we're really busy saying it's not my fault, it's their fault, aren't we? It, it doesn't really matter because the first thing we know is until we can stop saying that, it's not my fault, it's their fault, we cannot find healing. Now, the one thing that Adam and Eve didn't consider in this story at the beginning when each started blaming the other is the fact that they never asked for forgiveness from God. They never said, oh my gosh, we screwed this one up. God needs to, we'll ask God to forgive us. Now, would God have forgiven them? Of course, says Dorotheus, and we know this too because our God forgives. Of course God would have forgiven them. But as Dorotheus says, they never asked. They were too busy saying, I didn't do it, it's not my fault, to ever get to that point. More death. This is death. Eventually everybody dies and dissolves and goes into the earth. But this kind of death is the death of the heart. The death of relationships, the death of love is real death. And they fell right into it. Now, did God say to them, okay, that's enough, out, out of the garden, 
Well, yes, in a manner of speaking, God chased him out of the garden, and he put a, a, one of these angels uh, that you have in the back of your church, which tells you to be really careful. Um, I gave him a big sword and says, don't let these people in anymore. Just stand here and wave your sword around. So uh, in the story, that's, that's, what, that's what happens. But even with that, even with Adam and Eve being forced out of the garden in the story, notice that the last thing God does with respect to Adam and Eve is to make them some real clothes. You can look in there, it's what it says. The last thing before they were sent out into the wilderness was God sewed them some real clothes and they got rid of those itchy fig leaves. Now, this is an act of love, isn't it? Even at the end, God is always displaying love toward them. Dorotheus says to his monks, you just remember when you read this story, this is not a story about ancient people. This is a story about us. And this is a story about us, right? That God still cares for us, and we keep choosing death over and over and over and over. And in the, in, in the world right now, we're getting closer and closer to not just choosing metaphorical death, but physical death with it of the, of the worst sort. Now, is there anything we can do about this? Well, there's one thing we can do as Christians, and that is we can pray for those we regard as our enemies. We can pray for those we regard as our enemies. I mean, this is not a, an original idea with my, of mine. Jesus says this, right? Pray for your enemies. You know, uh, if the basic thing that we're called to do is to love God and love our neighbor, then what we got to do is to recognize that there's not a person in this earth who is not our neighbor. Hard. I'm not saying this is something easy, you know. And believe me, I hold as many grudges and prejudices and dislikes as anybody in this room. I'm quite certain. I, I you know, I'm not speaking up here from a, oh, only pray for people and then everything will be all right. Uh, no, it's hard to pray for people who you really don't trust, you really don't like. What I have found. Uh, that is very helpful, though, is if I am able, when I can't pray for somebody or can't pray without gritting my teeth and getting a headache, uh, is to ask God in my prayer to give me the desire to pray for the, for the people I need to pray for. To ask God for the desire to pray for the people I need to pray for. And Luke 11, look at, look at that. If we ask God for something, God will surely send us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to pray. Now, you might have to pray five years that God give you the desire to pray for the well-being of your enemies. Maybe 10 years. That's okay, we've got it, you know. Now, this is not a neat ending to this story because this, the story is about where all the messiness in the world comes from. 
you know, it's, it's just a metaphorical story, but it's still a story about a mess. And in the story, we don't really see how Adam and Eve resolve it, except they go off and start plowing and having children and, and having their children murder each other and that sort of thing. Uh, but what we can do is to take the advice of Jesus and pray. Pray for those for whom the more you don't want to pray for them, the more we need to do this. So I leave you today with this mess. <laughs> because it is a mess. The Christian life is just not a nice, tidy business, is it? It's it, it just somewhere or other, you know, it's, it's a mess. But that's okay. We can do it. We don't really have an alternative anyway. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for letting me come and be with you. And uh, some of you I'll see some more of tonight and tomorrow, and I'll be very glad of it.